Christmas hood. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And this week, we're sharing our December new releases. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey everyone, it's the start of a new month, so we wanted to take the time to invite you to join us on Patreon. Patreon is an online membership platform that gives you a way to financially support our podcast, and for $5 a month, you get access to all of our bonus content. It's bonus content, but our Patreon group is also such a wonderful, supportive community of readers. If you've ever wanted your reading to be more of a social experience, this is a great way to find that connection. Renee and I are also super involved on our Discord group and Facebook, so if you want to get to know us on a deeper level, of course, we'd love to have you. For $5 a month, you get access to two bonus episodes and one recorded live event as well as invites to our Discord server and Facebook group, and you get access to everything in our back catalog. We're very excited for our December content, and I think our patrons will like it too. Our live event is our end-of-the-year Mood Reader Happy Hour. It's tonight, and we're going to get together on Zoom with our patrons, and everybody will share something they love this year and their favorite book of 2023. Again, this will be recorded for anyone who can't make it. And you'll also get two bonus episodes, our December What's in the Mailbag and a Book Talk After Dark, where who knows what we'll come up with. If this sounds like something you're interested in, head to patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Or look for the link in our show notes. And thank you so much for your support. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How's it going? Uh, Well, I've been better. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So I was... Getting through the intro and thinking, okay, I definitely need to to let listeners know I may sound different. I have COVID and have been sick this week, so a lot of nasal congestion. And yeah, it makes it a little difficult to sound the same on recording, but... You're not going to have the normal um, buttery smooth sound <laughs> that you normally have. No, I will try. And yes. yeah, and also hoping to get through without too much coughing and that John will have to edit. But yes. You sound all um, right, though. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here with us. I know. I, I was like... To. I know. A piece of me was like, maybe I'll just like, maybe I'll just go by myself. And I'm like, what in God's name would I say <laughs> or do by myself? I need you. Like, we're a, we're a mm. team. I know. Mm. I wanted, and I want to talk about books. Of course. I'm glad I had two of my books already finished when this hit because that would have made it difficult. It is a little bit difficult to read right now. But I, and I went through so many samples of books and nothing was hitting me for my third book. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to (laughs) do? And then I landed on one. Then I landed on one. So all is good. All is well. Well, I have a very holiday-themed episode. Oh, really? Like almost all of my books are holiday-themed or like you'll hear. So I I just noticed I started to have a couple that were in the line. I was like, let me just go all in on the holiday because as of this recording, it's the first Tuesday in December. So we are, you know, firmly into holiday season. 
But I will share my very first holiday-themed recommendation with you guys. It is the Christmas Gift List Tracker. And this is an app. And this one's developed by LW Brands, in case you're looking it up. Because I was like, does it have a better name than that? Like, what is the name? But it's Christmas Gift List Tracker. So I've been like, now that I have children, like there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people to buy for for Christmas. And I was trying to keep up. I had notes in my phone. I'm like, this doesn't feel very, I don't know, organized. And so what I love about this app is you can add unlimited amount of people. It's a free app. You can add ideas. You can add purchased if it's arrived and then if it's wrapped. And there's like different statuses for each little gift. So you can add different people and add gift under there, add a gift under their name. The best part is you can also add the price. And then it tells you how much money you spent on that person. And I was looking at how much I spent on my oldest. I'm like, huh, okay. That's a, because <laughs> it adds up, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been buying, you know, a little bit here and there. I'm like, okay, we're done with Lily. Lily is good to go. And it also tells you how much you spent in total, which I think a piece of me would prefer not to know, but it's probably fiscally responsible to know. I love this app, though. It's really easy to use. It's visually, aesthetically pleasing. And I just think it's a great recommendation if you were looking for a way to keep track of gifts. It's also, of course, not something you only need to use for Christmas. You could use it for any holiday, any birthdays, keep it throughout the year. I'm going to use the idea function so that I, you know, throughout the year when something pops into my head, like, oh, Renee would love this, throw it on my app. And then, oh, that's a great idea. I know. And you can make notes too. Something I am known for every year, I buy gifts and then I forget where I hide them. And so I'll like end up giving my mom (laughs) something I bought two months prior because I didn't bring it to her house for Christmas. I'm like, oh, here's the Alexa I found you. Um, But anyway, I think this is a great little recommendation. It's the Christmas gift list tracker. It's an app on your phone. That is perfect. I need it. I'm going to download that today. Oh, and it's so fun to go back. I was like looking at receipts and emails. I'm like, okay, what did I buy? It was really, I don't know, entertaining. I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one that puts gifts in different places and then I forget what I've bought or where I've put it. Oh my gosh. I need that immediately. problem. (laughs) All right. Well, my loving lately, I decided to go a bit book-related for this one. I'm actually not purchasing that many products lately. So I thought, you know what? What have I come across that's book-related? And I came across this article, which is really interesting, and I want to know your thoughts, and I'd like the listeners to think about this too. And it is an article called The Case for Never Reading the Book Jacket. And I I will link. uh, Yeah, I will link to this, of course. But this is really interesting. So... The author, Taja, she talks about how she has decided to never read the book jacket, the book, which is, so what we're talking, so what I'm talking about there is like the cover, the inside cover of books where the publisher is giving us a synopsis, a summary of what the book is about. So what would that be like to never read that again? And she is deciding to do this because she doesn't find that it's helpful. And she finds that it actually gives too much information away about the book, which I I do agree with. But here's what I'm wondering. Okay, what would that look like if we didn't read the book jacket? And so what she is suggesting is when you hear about a book from a trusted source, when you 
maybe see a book on Instagram or Goodreads and somebody says, wow, I stayed up all night reading this book, then just go pick it up and read it without looking at anything. So she's talking about trusted sources. She's talking about seeing it places. So you kind of know about the book. Maybe, oh, she also talked about even just thinking if you're browsing in a bookstore, gosh, I like that cover. I love that title. Just pick it up and read it. And Mm -hmm. don't even look at the inside information in the book jacket, on the book jacket. What do you think about that? Yeah. Knee-jerk reaction was, yeah, I like that idea. I honestly don't read a ton of covers, uh, like synopsis on the book jacket. And then my immediate second thought was, wait, this puts us out of business. Because I feel like a lot (laughs) of what we do, of course, is like share what we thought about a book and what the book is about. And then I came back around because we, I think, of course, by and large, have read the books that we're talking about. And so I know you and I both do this. If we see on the synopsis that there's too much given Mm -hmm. away, I know we've both said, hey, don't read the synopsis. It gives a little bit more away than I think you need. If this sounds good, just pick it up. And I think podcasts, you know, that potentially we could be strong recommendation sources for people. I do like that, though. I don't read a ton. Like, we've, I think, both decided to not read reviews, very many reviews when we go into a book. I do this actually a lot more often now than I thought. Because what will happen is I hear about a book. I like the sound of it. I'm like, great, let me add it to my list or I put a hold on it. By the time the hold comes in, I've completely forgotten what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what am I reading? So sometimes what I'll do is I'll start it. And if I get hooked, I'll kind of go back to the synopsis and say, wait, who are the main characters? What am I doing here to ground myself in the story? And then I won't finish the synopsis. I'll just get back into it because I like to figure out who's who. But I think that is a very interesting idea and certainly something to think about. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be kind of fun to think about that because I know people like to make book goals, reading goals for the new year, and that might be a fun goal. I do think it ties in with what we've been doing, which is not reading reviews, like you said. But I also think you're exactly right. We do tell what a book is about, but I know even for our books on the radar and for like our mailbag issue that we do for patrons, we are looking at synopsis, which would be a lot of book jackets stuff, but I condense. Yeah. I, I pick and choose a lot. And I prefer not to read an entire synopsis of books. So I may just pick parts of what I'm seeing. And then if I have to read all of it, I'm kind of like you. And I typically hope I forget. I don't want to know too much about a book. So anyway, this is interesting. I'll link to it. Um, everyone can check it out and maybe, I don't know, maybe add not reading book jackets to your uh, 2024 reading goals. I love it. And so we'll link to that in our yes, show notes. I will link to it. And it's called The Case for Never Reading the Book Jacket. Right. I know. I have to read the full article. All right. I will share my latest read. And this firmly is in the holiday category because I finished The Jolliest Bunch mm-hmm. on Hinged Holiday Stories by friend of the show, Danny Pellegrino. And if you missed it, Danny was a guest on the Book Talk Etc. podcast way back on episode 37. We talked pop culture and nostalgia with him because we were talking about his first book, How Do I Unremember This? Unfortunately, True Stories. So I was more than happy to give this one a shot. I thought it was excellent. It's 
funny. It's raw. If you know Danny, he is a podcaster. He's a comedian. His podcast is called Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino. And this specifically is his collection of holiday essays. And if you're from the Midwest, like Renee and I, it's very Midwestern. He's also from Ohio. And it just is funny because I think some of the things he shared are totally universal experiences. It's not all Christmas. He's got some Thanksgiving ones. A particularly hilarious essay was about his mom freaking out about a ham. And I just (laughs) laughed because I thought, oh my God, who among us, if you ever cooked a holiday dinner, hasn't had a freak out what do you mean? Where is this particular piece of my dinner <laughs> moment? But it's it, it's hilarious. And so there's Thanksgiving, Christmas, some Halloween essays, um, New Year's. And honestly, too, I was struck because some of his essays were much more personal. And in fact, one toward the very end was something he said he's never shared publicly before. And it's something he was mm. like afraid almost to talk about because it's not. Yes, holidays are fun, light, joyful, Not always, right? And it depends on what you're going through personally, and it depends on your family. So I think even if you're not someone that really is fully into the holiday spirit, either you'll feel seen uh, about some of the trials and tribulations, or it might get you in the holiday spirit. I listened to this when I was cooking our Thanksgiving dinner, and it was just a perfect immersive experience to really, you know, have this holiday book along with my holiday party. I thought it was great. It's definitely worth it. I do recommend the audio because, of course, he narrates. He's wonderful. He's a podcaster, so he's able to, you know, make it interesting. But also there's photos in the book. So I had the library copy of the book and I listened to it. I recommend it. This was The Jolliest Bunch, Unhinged Holiday Stories by Danny Pellegrino. Oh, that sounds so good. I do have the audio of that. So I am looking fun. forward to it. I, I love to hear other mid like stories in of Midwest, especially mm-hmm. holiday stuff. Yeah. All right. My latest read is quite different. And actually, it does not come out here in the US until February, but I Is it the Year it, of the it Locust? Is. Yay. I've, it's the Year of the Locust by Terry Hayes. And I did get a copy from the United Kingdom. I ordered from Blackwell's. So it came out November 9th in the United Kingdom. So you can grab it at Blackwell's if you would like. But let me tell you about it first. This one is his long-awaited second book after his debut of I Am Pilgrim came out many years ago. And in this story, we have a denied access area spy for the CIA, and his name is Kane. And What he does is he goes in to places around the world and he does whatever is required there. Could be assassination, could be, you know, anything. He gets in and he gets out quickly, hopefully without being seen, without being caught, obviously. And he uses whatever means is necessary. And for Kane, he knows when to run, when to hide and when to shoot. But as we know, some places don't play by the rules. Some places are too dangerous, even for a man of Kane's experience. And one of these places in particular is the Badlands, where the borders of Pakistan, Iran, and Afghanistan meet. And that is a place where violence is the only way to survive. And that is a place that Kane must travel to. And he travels there to exfiltrate a man with vital information for the safety of the West. This man 
had very specific information on a possible future terrorist attack called, quote, the spectacular. No one knew what it was, but they knew that his information was legit. So Kane has to travel there. But once he gets there, instead of meeting this man, he instead meets an adversary who will take the world to the brink of extinction. And this person is frightening, clever, and vicious with blood on his hands and vengeance in his heart. Okay, I'm going to try to keep this short because I potentially have an unlimited amount to say about this book. I will start with what I liked. And you all know I absolutely loved I Am Pilgrim. I believe it was my top book of 2018, which is the year I read it. I loved it. It was filled with suspense. I mean, it was my type of thriller. So I had high, yes, I had high expectations for this book. I will start with saying I loved the fact that I had someone to talk about this with from the beginning, and that was Meredith from the Currently Reading Podcast. She's the one who told me that this book was available in the UK. I ordered it. We both got it around the same time and ended up chatting in our DMs. And that really was the highlight of my reading experience with this book. Okay, we analyzed and we bounced thoughts and questions off of each other. What I really liked was when the story started to go in wacky, unexpected directions, I was able to have someone to message with, which really, truly saved my reading experience. Now, let me take you on a bit of my reading journey. This is a 600 and 70-page book. For the first 220-ish pages, this was a five-star book for me. It was fast-paced. It was hold-your-breath type of tension because Terry Hayes is a screenwriter, so he writes in a very cinematic way. I felt like I was there with Kane as he had to figure out how to get, you know, through the very rough terrain of the landscape and, you know, the secrecy and what, you know, the C- all the of the CIA craft sort of spy stuff was all there. And it was very compelling, it was so compelling. And it was very reminiscent of I Am Pilgrim, very similar. I'm in it. I am there. My heart is like pounding. And that was in part one. There's four parts to this book. There are very, very short chapters, some just a page and a half. I loved the cliffhanger type of endings that he put on each chapter. He is really brilliant in the way he does that. And of course, it keeps you reading. Part two was where I started to notice a difference in the story. There was a definite downshift in tension. I was like, okay, I, I see the need. You know, I, I get it because the, the initial part one was so suspenseful. But then it became repetitive. And I thought, okay, this is odd. This is odd. Keep on going. Keep on going. Then I started to feel bored. And then I started to say, wow, this is so jarring because of how my reading experience was in part one. As the story progressed, I lost enjoyment. I became frustrated, and then I became more frustrated. And by the end of part three, I would have DNF'd, actually, if I did not have Meredith to talk with. 
things changed, things happened. I want to tell you things without spoiling anything. So what I will say, there are genre shifts in this book that are not at all alluded to by the publisher in the marketing copy of this book. So if you think you are getting a spy thriller the whole way through, I would like to change those expectations for you. Terry Hayes took this book in different directions. And for me, they did not work. They did not work at all. I was greatly disappointed. It went into some of the most unexpected places to the point that I thought, I don't even know what I'm reading. This cannot be the same author, the same book as what we started with. I just don't get it. The entire last half of the book was probably one gigantic eye roll for me. Then when I finished, I was talking with Kelly Hooker from Kelly Hook Reads Books and Cindy from the Thoughts from a Page podcast. They had similar thoughts that I did, but I do think they liked it better than me. What I talked about with both of them, especially with Kelly, was what I feel was the unfairness to the reader To me, I'll just, I guess, speak for myself, but I think Kelly agreed. Terry Hayes withheld foreshadowing that I think would have been beneficial. I think that there was just a lack of foreshadowing. So therefore, the later part of the books, I was unprepared for. I think I will leave it there. I'm probably going to write a longer review about this closer to pub day because I do have a lot to say and I just don't want to spoil anything for anyone. This was a gigantic miss for me, and I probably will end up giving it a generous two stars. It might go to 1.5. And I hate to say that. I really hate to say that. But this was The Year of the Locust by Terry Hayes. Really well done. I mean, I'm very clear on what worked, what did not work. I love that review. And, you know, we bring all of our books, good, bad. Otherwise, I think this of course, we talked about this. I think it was like episode three. We were talking about Terry mm-hmm. Hayes' next book and you were so excited. But it sounds like it wasn't because you were so excited. It sounds like it just was structurally not what was, I guess, advertised. Like it wasn't like, oh, I, I, I was let down. I wanted something different. It sounded like it just wasn't for you. It wasn't for me. Like I said, there were genre shifts in this book that I just wasn't on board for. And I'm not quite sure why. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like the book was written at different times. Mm. It took him forever, right? Right. It took him, him, yeah, almost 10. uh, Yeah, I think it's eight or nine years, maybe 10. But I don't know. There was just something, yeah, it's hard to say. For those who are going to read it, please read it and then come message me. Mm -hmm. message me during your reading. I am here to discuss because you are definitely going to need someone to talk about this book with. Yeah, that's great. And I think it is nice when books don't come out, you know, for a couple of months, at least in the U.S., for people to have someone to discuss with. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure listeners are grateful that you're offering that up. I was so curious too. I was like, tell me what didn't work. And I haven't listened to your Voxer because I'm the worst with that app. I cannot remember to open it. So yes, I will listen to it after recording. But for today, what we're talking about are trends. Of course, it's December. Our minds are toward the end of the year, as are so many others. And with that comes looking 
back at the year we had looking ahead at 2024. And one of the things we wanted to discuss were trends that we saw this year in publishing. And you all know at this point, we are not experts. We are just two folks that love reading and have read a lot of books and look at a lot of synopses. So here's what we thought. I came up with a couple and I saw Renee has some as well. One thing that I've seen quite a bit are books that include multimedia. So for example, books that have, you know, you're in dialogue and then there's a chapter with letters or there's a chapter with a podcast episode. One of the books that comes to mind is The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson. I love that. But that had this podcast element tied in and in between some of the action scenes, they would include reaction in the form of a podcast. When it's well done, absolutely, I think it works. Sometimes I think it can go way overboard into like, what am I even doing here? It feels like almost the author put it together because it is buzzy. But that is one thing. And I'm just going to hop into my second one because they're kind of closely related. I've also, I think a lot of us have seen the last couple years, a podcaster storyline. There are so many books with podcasters as characters. I like it. It's particularly true crime characters. I mean, I can think of like four at the top of my head. I have one that I'm sharing today. So this is used a lot. I do think coming into 2024, it's probably going to be a little bit overdone, but I've seen that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've read that many mixed media books. I think I tend to shy away from them, and I'm not sure why. Oh, interesting, Mm -hmm. because I like them, I think. Again, if it's used judiciously, if it's not the entire book, if it's not, you know, whatever, overly done. I think it can be a fun add-in, but that's interesting. Okay. Well, something I have noticed is titles this year. And specifically, there's a an interesting mix of one-word titles, or there's also some really long, wordy titles. So some of the one-word titles, for example, Wellness by Nathan Hill, Yellowface by R.F. Kuang, Spare by Prince Harry, Rootless by Crystal Zara Apia. Okay, I like I like those. Right? I do too. I like Adelaide, a one word title. Genevieve Wheeler. Mm. I like a one word title a lot. What I have had trouble with is remembering some of the very long titles this year, and some of those are "All That Is Mine I Carry With Me" by William Landay. Can't remember that. I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. What We Kept to Ourselves by Nancy Zhuyung Kim, Midnight is the Darkest Hour by Ashley Winstead. Now, all of those have at least five or more words. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot, right? It For is a title? lot. And I'm the worst with remembering specifically all that is mine I carry with me. I read that book. I did two book clubs with it. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember the title at the top, off the top of my head most of the time, just because I'm like, wait, I have some... What is it? I have, and then I also read. I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. Closely inter, uh, after that, and I keep interchanging some of the adjectives or words. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that we don't see that in 2024. I don't know. I, I think that it's just too hard for readers to remember the title, and you want to remember the title because mm-hmm. you want to tell other readers about the book. Because I mean. Yeah, Right? Sometimes I don't think they need all of that. I don't Mm -mm. think they need all of that. Like, I'm more of a fan of simple. I would, that's a whole other podcast episode. I would love to know how people come up with titles and how publishing houses come up with titles of the books or who comes up with it is the author, the publisher, the, you know, a combination. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, I, I'm more of a fan of keeping things simple. It's interesting too, and we talked to Crystal Zara Appia about her book, and she had mentioned that one of the toughest things for her as a writer is to be having this personal brand. And I think one of the trends now is that personal brands matter. Authors are encouraged to use social media. They're encouraged to allow readers to reach out to them or to reach out to readers. And I think she talked about how writing is a isolated experience oftentimes, and it can be challenging. If you're an introvert, you just want to read and write. You Mm -hmm. don't maybe want to interact with podcasters or readers. Not that you don't want to, but it's a challenge for you. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a big trend that I don't think is going away anytime soon. Obviously, I've seen it on TikTok. There's a lot of authors that I think have a really funny way of presenting themselves on TikTok that get people to pick up their book. Geneva Rose is an example. She's really funny on TikTok. And I think a lot of people pick up her stuff because they they recognize her. So I don't think that one's going away anytime soon. Okay. Something else I think is kind of a theme in some books this year, at least books that I have read. But I double-checked and I believe and these are all new releases. And this was actually an idea that came up in our Discord discussion of wellness by Nathan Hill. And I hadn't thought about it, but it's true. This this theme of mothers, and especially mothers who were complicated people or downright horrible, and how they affected their families, that has Mm -hmm. been a really interesting theme this year. And so some examples are... Mother in the Dark that by Kayla Maori that um, I read last winter. Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. Wellness by Nathan Hill. And Big Swiss by Jen Began. Now, interestingly, I believe all of the mother dynamics in there were with their daughters in all of those stories. Nathan Hill's was Is, a son. That's right. Son. Okay. Wellness by Nathan Hill was not. So that is, you're right, Tina. The rest were all daughters. So that is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I like the exploration of mother-daughter relationships, but I do wish that we had some different stories with maybe more positive mother-daughter dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And someone had said, where are all the positive mother-daughter mm-hmm. books? And yeah, and someone had said, like, I want to give, where are all the positive motherhood stories? And they wanted to come up with a list. So, you know, maybe we'll have to look into some of that and be cognizant, right? Because I think mothers do get a lot of the blame and, and parents in general. But I know I, I've seen a lot of particularly mother-daughter books where it's like, whoo, motherhood's hard as it is. And then there's a lot of mm-hmm. complicated things piled onto it. I was on the Book of the Month website earlier today checking out The Other Mothers by Katherine Faulkner. Spoiler alert, that's my shelf edition. But I saw Ashley Audrain was one of the ones that, she was the one that said why I love it. And I loved what she had to say. She talked about how her favorite kind of psychological thriller is one I like to think of as mom noir. Something elevated but easily devoured and of course still dark in all the right ways and tackles the emotional realities of motherhood. <gasps> For me... That is my, give it to me, catnip. I want it all. Like that has been my sweet spot. I think this year is is particularly darker motherhood stories, but not just dark. I think I also can appreciate resilient motherhood stories or honest or raw or happy or, you know, kind of 
in all of its iterations. But I love that subcategory and how she named it Mom Noir. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Okay, let's take a break and we'll be back with our books. I'm LeVar Burton, and if you're ready to escape into another world for a little bit, check out my podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. I read my favorite stories aloud every week by everyone from Stephen King to N.K. Jemison to Toni Morrison. Plus, we add a little sound design and music to make it a truly immersive experience. Listen to LeVar Burton Reads wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm looking at my first book, and there are some positive representation of a father-daughter story. And the first book that I'm bringing is Christmas Presents by Lisa Unger. Have you read this author? Yes. I feel like, yeah, she's pretty prolific, if I'm not mistaken. And I cannot remember the title right now because my brain is not working. Because brain fog. (laughs) But yes, I figured you had read her previously. I have never read her, but now I am happy to do so because I really enjoyed Christmas Presents. This is a novella, and it's a Christmashood novella. Uh, Christmashood. <laughs> this is not really a Christmas novella. It's it's more of a psychological thriller set during Christmas time. And its main character is Madeline Martin, and she is working at a bookshop. It's actually her business. She's the owner. And she had a rough childhood. She's a final girl, actually. So she was involved in a crime when she was younger. And now her dad is ailing. And so she's in her hometown running her bookstore, caring for her ailing father. And then this man shows up, Harley Granger, in the bookstore. And she's like, gosh, he looks a little familiar. She thinks he might just be a customer. Turns out he's a novelist. He is a failed novelist. And he's now into true crime podcasting. And so he has moved to this town and is intent to dig up events that Madeline would prefer stay buried. This man actually ends up purchasing the home that was the site of the crime that she was involved in. And he's really going all in and decides to try and figure out, it's more of a cold case, he tries to figure out, is the person that is incarcerated for this crime the actual culprit or was it somebody else? And I really liked this. It's quite short, but she packed a lot into it. I didn't feel like it was underdeveloped. Sometimes I think with shorter stories I've seen where it's like, oh, I would have loved more. I don't think I needed more or less from this. I think it was a perfect amount of action because, of course, you jump right in. I loved how the book opened because you meet the, there's another victim, put it that way, and you kind of meet her in the very beginning. And this, the synopsis, I'm laughing at your, your loving lately because I'm like, this goes on and it tells you all of the details, who, who's who, you know, who's in and out. I really think that's kind of all you need. This synopsis, you guys, is one, two, three, four, five paragraphs long. And again, a novella. <laughs> we don't need all of that, right? Um, all you need to know, it's it's a dark story. It's a mystery. I thought it was pretty tautly written, a lot packed in, but not in a way that was like, oh my gosh, this is eye-rolly. Of course, towards the end, when the culmination of what who done it, you find out what happened and how things really unraveled. I really liked it. I liked the setting. There's a little bit of a maybe romance in there, maybe, maybe not. And I thought it was really good. I also quite enjoyed the ending. So if you're looking to, if you're like, hey, gosh, I really would love to read 10 books this month to try and hit my reading goal, or even if you're not, I do think this is worthwhile. It is Christmas Presents by Lisa Unger. Oh, fun. Okay, that sounds like a, just a fun read. 
It was fun. And yeah, I popped it on. I did the audio and I thought it was good. I will say, though, I had to double check and look at my notes for this because I was like, what in the world happened in this book? I cannot remember. (laughs) So, And it's not too Christmassy. I mean, it's really not. It's set during the holiday season. I think that's like the main tie-in. Okay. My first book is Distant Suns by Tim Johnston. And this was one of my October books on the radar. So this one was about two young working men, Sean and Dan, who forge a friendship despite secrets in their past and whose actions ignite the passions and violence of a small Wisconsin town that is still haunted by the unsolved disappearance of three boys in the 1970s. Sean and Dan, they kind of meet coincidentally and they end up picking up some carpentry and plumbing work for an old man named Marion Devereaux. And Sean gets drawn into the lives of other people in the town. There's Denise and her father. And the townspeople in this small community, they are all still haunted by those disappearances. So when this story opens, we actually get to be present when one of the boys goes missing. So the story does start in the 1970s, which I really liked. Now, in the present-day storyline, the paths of many of these different townspeople will converge, and along the way, there is going to be a detective, and she is going to be seeking justice after her own father's failure to find the boys years ago, because she suspects that there might be a common thread and that this is a cold case that she might be able to solve. And over the course of just a few weeks, an irreversible chain of events is going to be set in motion that culminates in shattering violence and the revelation of long-buried truths. To start, I loved this book. It is a perfect blend of literary suspense and mystery, and it's also character-driven. This is just my exact type of favorite way to read a mystery is with that added element of suspense. And I did read this the month after reading The Current by Tim Johnston. Now, I don't think you have to read them in order, but I think if you haven't read The Current, I would read that first because there is a little bit of a a through line with one of the characters. And that's the only reason I say that, but it's it's not a necessity. I love the pacing of this. It was at times just enough to let us really sink into getting to know the people to where you thought, like I thought Sean and Denise and everybody, like I really knew them, but then it was fast enough to keep me swiftly turning the pages because I had to know, all right, what is Marion potentially hiding? And is he actually a bad guy? And was he involved in the disappearance of these boys? Or is he just kind of an innocent person that people have talked about in the town gossip? And I needed to know. I love a disappearance story. And I absolutely had to know what happened to those boys So that propelled me along. But Tim Johnston's writing is just superb. 
Um, if you haven't read him, definitely pick this up. And what made this even better was after I finished, I got to go and meet Tim Johnston at a book event here in Columbus. And he is a very nice guy, which is always a a nice surprise. Not surprise, but like when you get to meet an author and they're as nice as you hope they would be. And it was just great. It was great to hear the behind the scenes of how the story came about and kind of his his intent with the characters. So this was just a treat from start to finish. It's Distant Sons by Tim Johnston. That is good. And I know you got to meet him in person. It's always, yes. it like enhances your reading experience when you get that it opportunity. It really did. It I'm really glad you did. did that. And it made sense. And, and now I know why he added, you know, he added the element of carpentry into the story yeah. because that is something that he does. And and yeah, it was, it's just so nice when you can like combine the book with the author in an actual personal way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know if it's my season yet What with a newborn, but I would love to do more author events. Mm-hmm. I did one this year. We got to meet S.A. Cosby when we were in Washington, D.C., and it was amazing. He was so wonderful. So I'm like, gosh, I would love to do more of that. Yes. Next book for me is not a holiday book. It is horror in that this is loosely based on true events. It's The Reformatory by Tanana Reeve Du. Woo! This one is a gripping page-turning novel set in Jim Crow, Florida that follows Robert Stevens Jr. as he's sent to a segregated reform school. That is a chamber of horrors where he sees the horrors of racism and injustice. And this is loosely based on the infamous Dozier School for Boys that really existed. It's set in 1950 in Gracetown, Florida. Robbie is 12, and he is sentenced to six months at the Gracetown School for Boys, a reformatory because he kicked the son of the largest landowner in town. You see very early why he did it, how innocuous it was. It was in defense of his older sister, Gloria. But he gets sent there. And Robbie has the talent for seeing ghosts, or haints, as they're called in this book, um, in other places. Their mom has passed, and he's seen her. And this used to be a source of comfort for him but he's actually able to now see the ghosts of boys that used to live in the reformatory that no longer do. And they are no longer alive. And so you can figure out what happened to them and you come to understand all of what's going on as you read on. This is my favorite subgenre lately, historical horror. I love the elements. I love that they're com- when they're combined together. This book, I was so impressed because it is loosely based on the author's family. I say loosely based. She actually had an uncle that was in a reform school similar to this. And so she did a lot of research to help flesh out the school and make it feel real. So I think even if you're not a horror person, this could work. There are ghosts and you get to know them, if you will. Like they they are characters in the book. I mean, not characters, but they are present in the story. But I will say, this did not get scary to me until probably about maybe 30-ish percent. Scary, I mean, it's social horror too. So it was scary in that this really happened. But in terms of the actual horror or supernatural elements, that's a little bit maybe halfway through. And the standout for this, there's a couple. One is the writing. Her writing is fantastic. She really takes her time, but she really crafts a story that brings you into it. I felt like I was 
a part of their family worrying about this young man trying to figure out how are we going to get him out. Secondly is the characterization. The characters are fantastic. I can still remember their names a couple weeks later after reading it, which is a good sign. Gloria is his sister, and I loved her character. She was a strong, young Black woman in the 1950s and really had to advocate for herself and for her family. And, you know, there's a lot that this book uncovers other than the hauntings. The other thing I thought was really wonderful is audio. The audio performance was excellent. I thought the narrator did a great job. This was longish for me. I think it was something in like the 400-page mark. Not in a bad way, but it does... I would not call this like a thriller. It's not like a big, you know, fast-paced, taut, wild ride. It really takes its time, but you come to understand just how insanely horrible this place was. There are some real bad guys in this novel, and you feel that. I loved this book. I thought it was worth a five-star rating. So that was The Reformatory by Tanana Reeve Du. Okay, good review. Yeah, I love that you are narrowing in on your love of historical horror. Yeah. It's such a cool subgenre because they, you know, it's set in real, the real world, things that actually happen, but then there's like some sort of maybe supernatural element or some sort of horror, traditional horror element to it. It's been really fun. Two recommendations to pair with the Reformatory, of course, is The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. I also rated that five stars. It might have been my favorite book of the year that I read it. And then also a nonfiction pairing is We Carry Their Bones, The Search for Justice at the Dozier School for Boys by Aaron Kimberly. Okay, good. All right. Okay, my next book is the one I landed on after so many samples did not work for me. And it's out today. It is What Really Happens in Vegas, True Stories of the People Who Make Vegas, Vegas by James Patterson and Mark Seal. I was thrilled to get the audio of this. I have been to Vegas many times, many times. So, I mean, I, I, can't, I don't know if you haven't been to Vegas, how this book will land with you. But I think if you haven't been there, but you would like to go, that this could still work for you. So this book is a really fascinating journey about what makes Vegas Vegas? And they start with this really interesting opening scene with the dedicated scuba divers who are responsible for the daily upkeep of the Bellagio fountains. And so right then we know, like, we're going to get some nitty gritty on what makes Vegas so enticing. And from there, the authors are going to take us into behind the scenes of things like the Vegas airport. And did you know that the Vegas airport is adorned with 1,400 slot machines, a sprawling liquor library in baggage claim, and that every single clock in the airport is a Rolex? Who knew? This is just such a fun book. Okay, so they really do take the reader behind the scenes of the history of Vegas, but not in too much detail, not in too much detail at all. But we are going to learn a bit about the history of old Vegas and how was that built? And now what happens 
with some of the buildings of old Vegas and how those have been revitalized, which I have to tell you, I thought I wasn't interested in, but it was absolutely fascinating, especially um, especially how they took, there was an old courthouse in old downtown Vegas, and that has been converted into a mob museum. And how they went about doing that was absolutely fascinating. I kind of want to go visit that now. And that's not a place that would have been on my um, Vegas 2C list. But we are going to get details about the hotels on the Strip. And how were those developed? There's a lot in this book about Steve Wynn, who really had the vision for what Vegas is now, especially for the hotels like Treasure Island and the Mirage and the Bellagio. Vegas is very over the top, but what I learned is there's a reason for that. What was the intent behind the creation of these hotels? I learned so much. And also, this was really fun because I was able to get details on the creation of shows like Cirque du Soleil, which I've seen the behind the scene details about the creation of the shows, the creation of the restaurants. There are big, big names behind a lot of this. But what really stood out to me was the level of innovation. If I think if you're a reader who loves to read about creativity and, and, and really interesting innovation ideas and how those go from the drawing board or actually in someone's mind to then a reality. And especially in somewhere like Vegas where you wouldn't even be able to comprehend the amount of money or the time and the detail that goes into some of these hotels and shows and lobbies. And then it was really amazing to read about. Also, there's very fun things in here, like the behind the scenes details of a VIP's concierge job. So he is a VIP host to like the big rollers. For example, he had a client come in from California. They sent the hotel helicopter to go pick him up, bring him back to the hotel he spent the day gambling. He lost a million dollars and on his way out said, I had fun. I'll be back. I mean, it's just stories like this. It was crazy. There's a really interesting story about something I had never heard of, and it involved the Nevada Gaming Control Board and how they go about finding people who didn't realize they won at the slot machines. Because they they want to honor the winning. And so, oh my gosh, really fun stories, unusual, quirky stories. There's a really interesting story about the inventor of the Elvis impersonator wedding. And I loved her story and how she created drive-through weddings as well. There's so much to love in this book. If you've been to Vegas, I definitely think you'll love this. If you want to go to Vegas, then this could really push you to maybe booking your next trip there. There's also some really fun details about the marketing campaign of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. 
And that was really fun to read about. So this was What Really Happens in Vegas, True Stories of the People Who Make Vegas, Vegas by James Patterson and Mark Seal. Good job. I never would have heard of that before. James Patterson, like the James Patterson? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the I James like, Patterson. Yeah, the He's on the, every book, though. You know, he, he's always a he's, byline somewhere. I didn't know he was obviously branching out into nonfiction because okay. this is, well, obviously this is nonfiction. Maybe he's had other nonfictions, but the co-author, Mark Seal, is a Vanity Fair contributing editor. And that made oh. sense. I didn't realize that until I was doing my notes, but that made sense because you could tell that there was a lot of behind-the-scenes details, and I, that makes sense that someone who works for Vanity Fair probably had access to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I like how you say that word, the the name of the place. Do you want to hear how I say it? Name of which place? Vegas. You say— Vegas. You say—say say it? I say Vegas. 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 You Vegas. Say, you say Vegas, v- V-A? Vegas, Vegas, yeah, <laughs> Vegas. I'm going to Las Vegas. It's like very Chicago. I don't know. Anywho. Uh, have you been there, uh, Tina? I've been to Vegas. Okay. I I don't love it. I don't know if I've ever done it right. I think I've been there three, four times, two, three times. I don't remember. I've seen Britney in Vegas, which was very oh, fun. Oh, fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably the best Vegas trip. Anyway, yes. I'm not... A super fan. Maybe you'll go with me someday. I would, we could read lo- I would love pool, to go back. Play the penny slots. Yes, that would be fun. All right, let me wrap things up with our shelf edition. This is in the mom noir genre. I already hinted at it, or I guess I said the name. It's The Other Mothers by Katherine Faulkner. This one comes out today, December 5th. And this one is about a young nanny who is found dead in mysterious circumstances. And a new mom, Tash, is intrigued. See, Tash is a investigative journalist or a freelance journalist, and she has been desperately searching for the next story to, like, really get her name out there. She's also looking for friends to help her navigate motherhood. And then she finds them at her son's playgroup, the other mothers. These women are sleek, sophisticated. They all live in stunning houses, and she they're the kind of people that Tash would like to be. She eventually gets into their circle. They invite her in, and she is discovering, wow, they live the life I've always wanted. They have elegant homes, and she's in this cramped flat that she's renting and endless bills. They've got these homes. They do coffee dates, play dates, cocktails, and you know she's kind of finding her way in it. But then when a woman is found dead, she's like, oh gosh, this could be the story that really kickstarts my career. And she's investigating, and of course, as she's investigating, she's wondering... Now, are these women really my friends? Is something more nefarious at play? Why have they quickly invited me into their circle? What is going on here? I think this one sounds... I was going to say I really enjoyed this. I haven't read it. This is my shelf (laughs) edition. But I thought it sounded great. It's an add-on for Book of the Month this month. And I was not going to order a main pick because I didn't have any that really jumped out. But I want to get my hands on this. That's The Other Mothers by Katherine Faulkner. The audio is on Libro. Yeah, right. I did notice that this morning. Oh, so okay. I I'm saw just telling the book you. of the month. Yeah, I saw the book. Of the, you're right. And then I was like, oh, I don't need to order it because I got the audio. Okay, good. Okay. My shelf edition is The Hidden Life of Cecily Larson by Ellen Baker, and it comes out February 20th. This has two timelines. And in 1924, four-year-old Cecily Larson is dropped off by her mother at an orphanage in Chicago. And her mom promises to be back once she's made enough money to support both of them. But she never returns. 
And shortly after, high-spirited Cecily turns seven, she is sold to a traveling circus to perform as the, quote, little sister to glamorous bareback rider Isabel Dumond. With Isabel and the rest of the circus, Cecily finally feels she's found the family she craves. But as the years go by, the cracks in her little world begin to show, and when teenage Cecily meets and falls in love with a young roustabout named Lucky, she finds her life thrown onto an entirely unexpected and dangerous course. Then, in 2015, Cecily is now 94 and living a quiet life in Minnesota with her daughter, granddaughter, and great-grandson. But when the family decides to surprise her with an at-home DNA test, the unexpected results not only bring to light the tragic love story that Cecily has kept hidden for decades, but also throw into question everything about the family she's raised and claimed as her own for nearly 70 years. Cecily and Everyone in her life must now decide who they really are and what family and forgiveness really mean. I love the sound of this. It definitely did give me Water for Elephant vibes, which I do think it's been comp to. But then it also said it was for fans of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. So that caught my attention. So I hope this is as good as it sounds. It's The Hidden Life of Cecily Larson by Ellen Baker. Ooh, I hope it's like Evelyn Hugo. I know. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content and community, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash etc. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also find us at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. I have um, minimal notes, which should be interesting. I got minimal notes, too. Usually I can multitask with taking notes and watching Golden Bachelor, but now I can't because my mind won't let me. Yep. So I just— Maybe it's a sign. You need to just (laughs) relax and and winter.